Morning. On, uh, on the days in which the, uh, the wives are gone, I'm always tempted to call all the children up forward and take a look at how the guys did the, the girls' hair, you know? Like, uh, Mallory this morning, I woke up and I'm looking at my daughter and I'm like, all right, how do I do her hair, right? So one of these, one of these Sundays on the women's retreat, maybe next year, we'll, we'll, we're going to line up all our daughters and see which father gets the best hair award. Do you guys think that's a good idea? Yeah, okay, we'll try that next year, all right? So guys, you got one year to prepare for the hair. That's just a joke. Hey, if you've got a Bible, turn to Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2. We're going to be in part 3 of our series in Colossians. We've been going, uh, uh, of this particular series within the book, as a matter of fact, uh, we've been going through a section of the letter to the church at Colossae in which Paul is dealing with false teachers that have infiltrated that church. And so the title of this little series within Colossians is The False Teaching at Colossae. We're on part three today, Eyes Up on Christ. Eyes Up on Christ. When I was a little kid, um, I, I, loved, you know, I loved sticks. And my son Bennett loves sticks. You'll always notice him out after church picking up a stick and wielding it, probably smacking your children or maybe you. Um, let me know if he does that, by the way. But I would pick up sticks, and what I would do, and I, rather than swing them as swords and, and play with them as guns, I would pick them up, and I would throw them as far as I could into the air, as high as I could. I would take, take, pick up any stick I could find, and I would just look up, and I would throw it and watch it land. And then I'd pick it up again and throw it and watch it land. Well, my mom would uh, frequently tell me, Neil, you know, don't. Don't look up when the stick is coming back down because it could, it could poke you. And I thought, what are you talking about, Mom? Was, you know, I know what I'm doing. You know, I'm a, I'm a six-year-old boy here. I knew what I was doing. So one day I was, I was kind of underneath a tree a little bit. And so I was, I was throwing it up into this tree and it was kind of ricocheting and falling down. And I'd throw it again and throw it again. Sure enough, I threw it up and it's ricocheting, ricocheting, and it comes down and boom! A centimeter from my eye. I still got the scar to prove it. Actually, it might be this eye. I, you tell me when you see me after the service. I've got the scar to prove it. I threw that stick as high as I could, and I looked up, and I looked up, and it was ricocheting, ricocheting, and sure enough, bam, it caught me, just missed my eye. Now, folks, that's an instance in which you want to take mom's advice and not look up, right? But in Colossians today... Paul's going to tell us, not a warning for looking up. Instead, he's going to give us an incentive for looking up. He's going to tell us, no, 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 I want you to look up. Because when you look up, and when you see Christ seated at the right hand of the Father, waiting and ready to bless you as you seek the things that are above, you're going to receive His glorious power. His glorious blessing. So the title of this part three in the series within Colossians is Eyes Up on Christ. Eyes Up on Christ. Would you stand with me as we read from Colossians chapter 2? Stand with me please. We'll be in Colossians 2 verse 20 to 3 verse 4. We'll read it together 
And then you may be seated. So Colossians 2, beginning in verse 20 and going to chapter 3, verse 4. Paul writes this in his letter to the church. He says, therefore, if you died with Christ from the basic principles of the world, why, as though living in the world, do you subject yourselves to regulations? Don't touch, do not taste, do not handle. These all concern things which perish with the using, according to the commandments and the doctrines of men. These things indeed have an appearance of wisdom in self-imposed religion, false humility and neglect of the body, but they're really of no value against the indulgence of the flesh. Chapter 3, verse 1, If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things of the earth, for you died And your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ who is our life appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. You may be seated. Verse 20 to 23, one more time. Paul writes, Therefore, if you died with Christ from the basic principles of the world, why? As though living in the world, do you subject yourselves to regulations? Regulations like do not touch, do not taste, do not handle. All these things concern things which perish with the using. According to the commandments and the doctrines of men. Why do you do that? He asks. Verse 23, these things indeed have an appearance of wisdom. In self-imposed religion, false humility and neglect of the body. But in reality, they are of no value against the indulgence of the flesh. Verse 20, if you died with Christ, I'm here to make an announcement. You're dead. That's right. You're dead. If you have believed in Jesus Christ, you have died with Christ. You're dead. You're already dead. Those of us who have trusted Christ as our Savior, the Bible says you've died with Him. You say, how have I died with Him? Turn over to Romans. Grab your Bible. You're in Colossians. Go back a a, a few books to Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6. We're going to read how we've died. Romans chapter 6. How were we dead? How did we die with Christ? Paul's going to tell us in Romans chapter 6. Beginning in verse 6, Paul says this, he says, Knowing this, Romans 6, 6, that our old man, it was crucified with Christ so that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin, for he who has died has been freed from sin. Jump down to verse 10. For the death that Christ died, he died to sin once for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Paul says it right there in verse 6. He says, my old man has died. My old man has died. Not my dad. He's very much alive. But my old man, my old flesh is dead. 
my old sinful self, that part of me that was inherently wicked and sinful and destining my soul for hell, that part of me, Paul says, is dead. He said it also earlier in Colossians chapter 2. He said it in verses 13 and 14, that we who were once dead in our trespasses, but He has made us alive with Christ, having forgiven us all our trespasses, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us. He's taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. I once was lost, but now am found. I once was dead, but now I'm alive. I have died to sin. And you who have trusted Christ as your Savior, you have died to sin too. Your old self is dead. Its permanent effects on your eternity are null and void. And as Paul puts it in verse 20, we've died with Christ from the basic principles of the world. The word from there, you you could substitute the word toward. We've died with Christ toward those basic principles of the world. The things that were the basic principles of the world, we've died of those things. You say, well, what are the basic principles of the world? That's actually the same word we've seen before in Greek. Stoicheia in Greek. Basic principles. Other translations in your Bibles, you might have basic principles, elementary principles. You might even see elemental spirits, meaning evil spirits. The phrase stoicheia, as we studied a couple weeks ago, indicates that whether it's the undeveloped and rudimentary teachings of men, or whether it's the evil spirits that inspire that teaching, either could be the case in the the Greek word stoicheia. It could be focused on the, the elementary and undeveloped teaching of men or the evil spirits which inspire that teaching. He says, you've died to that stoicheia. You've died to the elementary, undeveloped, immature, demonically inspired philosophies of this world teachings of this world, commandments of men. Paul says you've died to it, so stay away from it. If it's not according to Jesus, leave it behind. You've already died. You've already been born again by faith in Christ. You are now living a new life. And if you've died with Christ, then why, this is his question in verse 20 and 21 and 22, then why, if you've died to these things, Would you ever pay attention to these rules and regulations like do not touch, do not taste, do not handle, he says in verse 21. Why would you pay attention to those regulations? The words, if you've died, by the way, in Greek are are what's called a a first-class conditional sentence in Greek. It's not an if that means you may have died. It's an if where you could substitute the word since. Since you've died with Christ from these things, why would you ever subject yourselves to them again? Regulations like do not touch, 
Do not taste. Do not handle. Keep in mind that Paul's, this portion of Colossians is written so that Paul can combat the false teaching that's taking place. There have been false teachers. They, they, they arose likely within the church. Some of them may even have been believers. They rose up within the church and they started going astray and they started teaching astray. And Paul's calling them out in this section of the letter from about 2, uh, 6 to 3, 4. He's identifying these, these false teachings and these false teachers. That's why we have this little subset series within the book. And he's calling them out, calling out their ideas and showing the error of their ways. They were the ones advancing these regulations that Paul speaks of. They were the ones advancing these ideas, these worldly philosophies, these rules, these regulations. They claimed to have the niche market on spirituality. They claimed that what they were doing, as opposed to the rest of the church, they said, come over here because what we're doing is real, authentic, it's divinely inspired. You need to come over here and practice with us, they'd say. But in reality, as Solomon might put it, there's nothing new under the sun. In reality, the spiritual practices of these false teachers were no different than what Jesus encountered in the Gospels. Turn over also in your Bible to Mark chapter 7. Mark chapter 7 in the Gospels. Mark chapter 7. I want to show you one instance in which Jesus encountered regulations like the ones they were dealing with in Colossae. Mark chapter 7, beginning in verse 1. Mark 7, verse 1. Jesus is encountering the Pharisees. They were a, a group of legalistic religious leaders. And this is the story. 7, 1 to 5. Then the Pharisees... And some of the scribes, the lawyers, they came together to Jesus, having come from Jerusalem. Now when they saw some of Jesus' disciples eating bread with defiled, that is, with unwashed hands, they found fault. And then Mark explains why. He says, for the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands in a special way, holding to the tradition of the elders... When they come from a marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And there are many other things which they have received and hold, like the washing of cups, pitchers, copper vessels, and couches. Then the Pharisees and scribes asked Jesus, Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders? Why don't they listen to us, in other words? But instead they eat bread with unwashed hands? And Jesus goes on to rebuke them. He says, What are you talking about here? What are you talking about? He goes on and says, and he answered and said to them, Well, well did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written, These people honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. You can continue to read the story later on if you wish. The point is this. What was happening in the church at Colossae, the do not touch, do not handle, do not taste regulations, the ideas and the philosophy of, of spiritual practice that was being espoused by these, this group of influencers in the church. Paul looks at it and says, hey, that's nothing new. I've seen that before. Jesus dealt with that. That's nothing but the commandments of men. That's the Pharisees. 
Taking what was a commandment of God and twisting it and turning it and using it and and focusing on the minutia. Paul says there's nothing new here. Another gospel story in Matthew 12, the disciples were plucking heads of grain and and the Pharisees said, you can't do that on the Sabbath. And Jesus says, what are you talking about? You're missing the point of the law. Don't touch. Don't handle that. Don't eat that. The regulations that the false teachers in Colossae were espousing were the same kinds of regulations that Jesus saw in the Gospels. Man-made, focused on the minutiae, zeroing in on things that do not matter and that certainly aren't the intent of what God prescribed in His law. What food you eat, when you can eat it, your methods of hand washing, knowing precisely how to do it, what times to do it, such regulations concern earthly, perishable things. They do not matter. They don't matter. Well, I'll take that back. They matter in one case. I was, uh, I was uh, at VBS a few years back. I may have shared this before. And I was uh, at VBS and I... I had to use the, go to the men's restroom, so I go to the men's restroom, and, and a, one of the little boys goes to the urinal next to me, and uh, I'm like, hey, how you doing? I won't say which boy it was, but you can ask me if it was your son, and uh, he, he, he proceeds to begin using the urinal, and uh, he had a toy in his hand, and he dropped the toy, and it fell into the urinal, and before I could say, stop, wait, he reached down and grabbed the toy and pulled it out. Now that's an instance where I do want ritualistic hand washing to take place, all right? All right? There's one instance in which you can have ritualistic hand washing. But that's it. No more rules. No more regulations. We're free in Christ. I bet you're all wondering, is that my son? Was that my son who did it? I'm not going to say who did it. <laughs> John, John will freely point out other sons, yes. There are no more regulations in Christ. No more hand washing. No more, you can handle this food, but only during these times. None of that. Why would you allow another to judge you for not following their rules? These things are earthly. These things are man-made. They're imposed. They're not of God. And I ask you, are you more concerned about rules and regulations than you are about the spiritual well-being of another? It's not, a, it's not a crazy question to ask anymore. You might be thinking, well, Pastor Neil, you know, I don't have food laws and I don't have hand-washing rituals and I don't, I don't subscribe to those kinds of rules. Really? Really? Um, hmm. Can you wear shorts to church? Some of you would say, no way! Others of you would be like, hey, that's fine. Should a pastor wear a tie every time he preaches? Yes. No. We have our own rules. We have our own regulations that we don't even know about. That when they happen, we go, you can't do that. You, how? And we look at these rules and regulations and they're instinctual to us. And so I ask you again, do you have rules and regulations whereby you judge another for not adhering to your code. Now, there, 
Paul, Paul will freely say elsewhere in his letters, he'll say, look, all things are permissible for me. All things are permissible for me. But not all things are what? Helpful. Not all things are edifying. I can, I can do all things. Christ has set me free. He's given me freedom from all of the law, from all the rules, from all the regulations. He's, he's opened up my eyes. I have grace. I can live freely. But Paul also says, but not all things are beneficial. Not all things are helpful. Some things might offend others. And elsewhere in Paul's letters in Romans 14 and 15, he says, don't, you who are strong, don't offend the weak. Be careful. Pay attention to conscience. Even still, though, we we should be careful of adding too many man-made rules and regulations upon the practice of our faith. Such rules can warp a man's mind. It can deceive him into supposing that the rules are what pleases God and not the work of Christ. F.F. Bruce writes, and I quote at the bottom of the outline there, Paul encourages the Colossians to enjoy the liberty with which Christ has set them free. The imposition of prohibitions, all these do not, do not, do not, the imposition of prohibitions from without can do nothing to create or develop new life within that should be create not created the imposition of prohibitions from without outside can do nothing to create or develop new life within us you've died to the stoicheia you've died to the evil undeveloped rudimentary demonic way of thinking why would you ever go back he says in verse 23 now colossians 2:23 these things These things, these prohibitions, do not touch, do not taste, do not handle, these rules, these regulations that the false teachers are imposing upon the church, these things have an appearance of wisdom in self-imposed religion, false humility, and neglect of the body, but are of no value against the indulgence of the flesh. Those who subscribe to Eastern religious spiritual practices, those who subscribe to those in modern Jewish contexts who spend all day long adhering to the Talmud and the Midrash, those who are deeply entrenched in cult-like practices in their spirituality, their, their rules, their regulations, of which there are many, They have an appearance of wisdom, Paul says. Appearance of wisdom. After all, it's self-imposed religion. It's voluntary what they're doing. They do it voluntarily. It's it's humble. Paul's going to... Our translations add the word false there. He actually says, it's humble. But it's false humility. He says, they're neglecting their body. You might think that that was a good thing. They're, 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 They're... They're... pushing down their physical desires often to in how they eat in, in how they interact with with one another in, in, in the marriage relationship sometimes they'll be fasting he says all these things they, they look good on the surface but in reality are of no fle- no value against the indulgence of the flesh paul says in their seeming in their seemingly fervent pursuit of the divine They're actually just putting on a show. 
for all of us to watch. Their humility, Paul says, is false humility. When they neglect their body, they're actually secretly hoping that others will look at them and notice that neglect. Rather than dying to their old sinful flesh, they're actually feeding that flesh, feeding their pride, feeding their ego, their need to be noticed and recognized as a spiritual elite. So I ask you the question, do you practice your faith secretly hoping that others will take notice of you? When you, uh, when you fast, when you pray, when you open up your Bible, as you live out your Christian life, do you live it with, with one eye looking to see who's, who's watching me? Did they see me pray like that? Did I announce to everyone that I'm fasting today? It happens more than, than we would like to think. That we practice our faith, not before an audience of one, but before an audience of many. It certainly happens in a lot of contexts outside of the Christian faith as well, in Eastern religions, in modern Orthodox Jewish religions. It certainly happens in cults. People practicing rules, regulations, disciplines, regimented, has an appearance of wisdom, It looks like they're pious, but Paul says, really, they're indulging their flesh. They're doing nothing more than feeding their flesh, as they hope others will follow. And that's precisely what was happening in Colossae. The false teachers were saying, come, come over here and follow our way. We're the pious ones. We're the ones neglecting ourselves. We're the ones doing those secret things. Do you practice your faith hoping others will notice? Or do you do it for an audience of one? Since you've died with Christ, why entertain these earthly, perishable, man-made ideas? Man-made ideas of spirituality. Paul says you're better than that. You've died with Christ. And now look what he says in chapter 3, verse 1. Not only have you died with Christ, 3 verse 1, if then you were raised with Christ... Seek those things which are above, where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things of this earth. For you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. Chapter 2, verse 20. Since you died with Christ... Don't pay heed to these rules and regulations. Chapter 3, verse 1. Since you've been raised with Christ, look up where Christ is. Paul's writing in, in a pattern of sorts. Don't you know you've already died with Christ? And don't you know you've already been raised with Him? I said at the start of this message, did you know you're already dead? He said, nope. Well, we've died with Christ. We've died to sin. We've died to the law. We've died to the stoicheia, Paul writes. Well, guess what? Guess what else? There's something else I can tell of you. If you believed in Christ, guess what else Paul would say? He would tell you, you've already been raised. You've already been raised. 
You've already died and you've already been raised. What kind of resurrection? Not the physical resurrection. That's not what Paul's speaking of here. That is yet to come. Our physical resurrection is yet future. You can read about it in 1 Corinthians 15. We're looking forward to that day. But what Paul is speaking of is the resurrection of our soul. By faith in Christ, our spirit has been raised. It was dead and dying and now it's alive again. We've been We've been raised, we've been lifted up, and now that we're upright, Paul says, keep looking up. Seek those things which are above, where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things of this earth. Think about heavenly things, not earthly things like do not touch, do not taste, do not handle. Paul says, why would you go back to those F.F. Bruce writes again, he had some great comments uh, this week in Colossians. F.F. Bruce writes, don't let your ambitions be earthbound. Don't let them be set on transitory and inferior objects. Don't look at life and the universe from the standpoint of these lower planes. Look at them from Christ's exalted standpoint. How can I lift my eyes up? How can I lift them up at work, at home, with my time, my resources, my skills, my gifts? How can I lift them up? I was talking the other day uh, with a friend of mine. We were talking about uh, just business and, and his business and, and what, what he was doing in his business. And we were talking about goals in business and what the objectives were for the business. And, uh, you know, oftentimes we think that the, the, the goal or the objective of business is to make money, to make a living. Maybe make a lot of money. And uh, some, of, some of you are business owners, others of you work in businesses and whatnot. And sure, those are goals, those are objectives in a business, is to earn money, to earn a living, and maybe earn it well if you can. But really, if you're taking Paul's advice here, Paul says, look higher, higher. Why do I have a business? Why do I work the way I do? Why do I keep trying to increase and succeed is it just for money or maybe it's so that i can give more to the work of the lord maybe it's so that i can give to haiti to to mike and carrie's ministry at grongo so that more orphans can have an education and and be instructed in a church maybe it's so that i can get more so i can ship it off to camp allendale as they build a brand new building so that they can bring on more foster kids from Orange County, L.A. County, Riverside County, San Diego County. Maybe one of my higher objectives is not just to, to make more money for my family, but to give it to God's. Give it to God's work. Paul says in everything, look higher. Set your aspirations higher, not lower. What can I do with my skills? What can I do with my gifts, my time, my resources, my money? Are my goals and objectives high enough? It's especially fitting, too, that Paul mentions that Jesus is now seated at the right hand of God. He says in verse 1, If then, or since then, you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. 
It's especially fitting that he mentions Christ sitting at the right hand of God. For so much of the context of Colossians is focused on God's power over evil. And when Paul says that Jesus is seated at God's right hand, it should remind us of Christ's place of power. David writes in the psalm, Psalm 110.1, The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Until I totally vanquish their power. Talking about the stoicheia, the, the demonically inspired, rudimentary, undeveloped, wicked, man-made teaching of this world. David says in the Psalms, The Lord said to my Lord, that is, the Father said to Christ, the Messiah, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. And what else do we see in Colossians chapter 2? What did we read just earlier in the the context from last week? Chapter 2, verse 15. That Jesus has disarmed principalities and powers. He's made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them through the cross. Paul's focus here is on the power of God through Christ. The power that Jesus came to disarm these principalities, these powers, these wicked stoicheia. He's making and has made a public spectacle of them. And he will continue to sit at God's right hand until his enemies are made his footstool, at which time he will return in glory. And Paul says, that'll be where all of us come into play. Verse 3, for you died... And your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ who is our life appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. You died with Christ. You're already dead. You've been raised with Christ. Not physically yet. You will be. But right now your spirit's been raised. You've been born again. You're a new person. And Paul says, when Christ who is, uh, excuse me, our life is now hidden. That is, it's in a secret place. It's kept safe. It's away from danger. Christ has hidden you. Your life is hidden with Christ in God. The fullness of that life is almost ready to be revealed. We're getting glimpses of it now. As we see... As Lou prayed, Bob get have a miraculous uh, recovery from multiple organ system failure. As we see Eric Paulson, who literally went through hell on earth on his physical body. And yet we see him now, he says his face is better than it's ever been since he was a teenager, he said. As we see God doing miracles in our midst, we're seeing a taste of what we're about to of what God's about to reveal in glory. And when Jesus, who is our life, appears, we will appear with Him in glory. 1 John 3, 2 says, Beloved, now we're children of God, and it's not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know that when Christ is revealed, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. I've given you a summary statement here at the bottom of your outline. 
on these last three series of messages in Colossians. This is an important series, and so I wanted to, to read this statement one, one last time to summarize these three messages. It's an important set of messages because the false teachers that had infiltrated the church at Colossae, while those same rules and those same regulations and those same foreign spiritual practices may not be in use today, and you might think, well, I, I really don't have a context for that. I can assure you that the same kinds of worldly philosophies, the same kinds of stoicheia, demonically inspired man-made teaching, is at work in our culture, in our midst. And as we learn how the Christians at Colossae combated it, so also we can fortify our own faith and be ready when false ideologies come our way. And so I wanted to read this summary statement. This would be somewhat of what Paul has spoken of in these last, uh, since chapter 2, verse 6. He would say, we've received Christ by faith, and so now walk in Him. Don't get lost by worldly philosophies, by the demonically inspired rudimentary, undeveloped teachings of men, those things will plunder you. They will pillage your soul and your mind. They'll cause you to follow unnecessary rules and regulations, and they can even cheat you and disqualify you of your reward. Jesus came to disarm such wickedness and evil thinking. He is all we need, for in Christ dwells all the fullness of God. You don't find it anywhere else. By faith in Him, we've died with Christ. We've been raised with Christ. God has forgiven us in Christ. He's wiped our slates clean. So don't look to anyone or anything else. Only look up on Christ, and you will find all you'll ever need. That is the lesson. Colossians 2, 6-3-4. That is the section of the book, of the letter, that we've been studying now. And while again, those rules, those regulations, the precise philosophy that, they were, that Paul was combating in the first century A.D. in that city of Asia Minor, while that same philosophy may not be in play today, there are others. There are many others. Philosophies of business, of marriage, of parenting, of money, of education. So many things in this world that you look at and you go, wait a minute, is that, is that how Christ would have me live? Paul says, don't subscribe to worldly man-made stoicheia. Inspired by the devil, in fact. You just keep looking up. You keep looking on Christ. He'll guide you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we want to look up. Keep our eyes higher. That our goals would be higher. Our objectives would be higher. That as we set our own goals in our personal life, in our family life, in our business life, in our ministry life, Lord, that our goals would be higher. Lift it up, looking to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. 
Lord, it is so, so easy to get distracted. The stoicheia is all around this demonically inspired, man-made worldly philosophies. They're everywhere. And God, many are getting taken by them. They're getting sidetracked by religions that lead astray, by ways of thinking that lead us astray. God, would you protect us, insulate us by your spirit and with your word, and that our eyes would be lifted up higher where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God, for we know that he is powerful to protect us. He has come and he has disarmed those principalities and those powers that threaten us. We've died with him. We've been raised with him. And so we will look up. Help us to keep our eyes up, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.